Welcome to the Teaming Against Trauma podcast, brought to you by Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center. My name's Brooke Anderson, and I'm so grateful that you're here with us. We'll be talking about the way child advocacy professionals come together to fight against trauma and the effects that it has on children. From these conversations, my hope is that you'll gain a better understanding of the way the Child Advocacy Center model works and leave feeling inspired with action steps that you can use to better understand trauma and prevent child abuse. This work truly takes a team to do. So now I'm considering you a part of ours. Welcome to the team. Now let's fight together. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here. Um, Anna, you are one of three victim advocates at mm-hmm. DCAC, and I know that you've talked to them a little bit about their thoughts. And so you're kind of coming from your experience, but also speaking for the three of you as well, just on what it means to be a victim advocate for children at our center and their families. Because honestly, I think that you have one of the most fascinating and hard jobs, I would say, Mm -hmm. at the center. So can you tell us um, just what it's like to be a victim advocate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So definitely in the beginning, we are the family's initial point of contact. So from the time that the interview is set up, we are the ones that are confirming appointments as soon as they walk through our doors. We are the ones doing paperwork with them. And then we also have meetings with them. Then we get them set up with a forensic interviewer. If they have a medical, we get them set up with medical personnel. So really, we are with them from the moment they enter the building to the moment that they walk out of the building. Awesome. And so what is it like once, even I know once they leave our building, you are still following up with them afterwards. So what does those, what do those like some of those referrals and follow up services look like as well? Yeah, absolutely. So that's really where our advocacy part comes into play. So after families leave our center, we do follow up with them about whatever was communicated in the meetings, whether that is recommendations, whether something needs to be communicated to law enforcement, DSS, the solicitor's office, whoever it may be that needs to know a certain piece of information. We are the ones either following up to investigative agencies or helping families with those resources and connecting them to agencies within the area for help in addition to whatever they're getting here already. Okay, great. Uh, and so in those the parent or caregiver interviews, when you go kind of into them, like when you're saying that, that that first step in the process of being with them um, and trying to understand their situation and what their thoughts are and what they're going through, what is your mindset and kind of like goal for that conversation? What are some things you're keeping in mind and trying to be aware of? Yeah, that's a good question. So whenever we go into the interviews, we definitely want to have an open mind. We are going in there as well educated as we can. So we're looking at what the allegations are. We're reading if there's a safety plan, if there's a police report, a SANE kit, whatever it may be, any information we can gather ahead of time going in. We do want to be educated and still have an open mind when speaking with the caregiver. So 
when I think of victim advocacy and when I meet with families, my mindset is always I am here for the family with the best interests of the child at hand. And so being empathetic, really just listening, connecting dots that might be missing, um, and then seeing how we can really help the family the best way we can, always with the best interests of the child. Right, right. So how do you show, I don't know, I'm not a victim advocate myself. That's why you're here. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, hey. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just, I'm just curious, like, is it something that can sometimes be hard for caregivers to believe that you are on their side? Mm-hmm. Um, since that's what you're saying, like you are and mm-hmm. you are that advocate for them and their child. But I'm sure through this process, they may have experienced people that they feel like aren't or mm-hmm. are just skeptical. And so how do you make make them feel like you really are and show them that? Yeah, that's a really good question, too. Um, So we do have caregivers that certainly feel that way, whether they have had bad inner experiences, excuse me, with DSS or law enforcement, or they've just heard things that may Mm -hmm. not be true or that were true or from other people, what their experiences were or their individualized experience with other agencies. So sometimes they'll come in and, and view us in the same light. So really just explaining the processes of the criminal justice process of the DSS process of how we fit into that piece Mm. and how we are different in the way that we're not an investigative agency. We are the neutral, safe space, third party for people to come and gather information. Um, So really just explaining that part of what all of this process actually looks like, how we fit into it, and that we really are there for them, for the child, and just to support them and advocate for them in the best way that we can, whether, like we had talked about earlier, whether that's the resources, answering questions that they may not know, um, speaking with other partners that we have connections with to get answers for them. So for the parents that definitely, or the caregivers that have bad experiences, definitely emphasizing what mm-hmm. that process looks like and who we are in that. And do you feel like they usually like respond well? to that? Yeah. In my experience, most families have responded well. Even for the ones that are apprehensive, that is where the follow-up is key. Because even if they're apprehensive as they still leave the building, when I follow up with them, they see that, okay, this person's actually here. They actually do want the best for me and my family. They're actually listening and advocating, even if it feels like other people haven't. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Thanks for explaining that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know that each case is so different. And so it's a little Mm -hmm. hard to talk about them like just as a broad overarching thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But are there any like common kind of threads that you see for needs that parents or caregivers have? And how do you go about addressing these? Or if you even want to give some examples of what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, most common concerns that I have encountered, I know that other VAs have encountered, is the question of, is their child going to be okay? Mm-hmm. So whatever happened to their child, whether it was sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, any type of abuse or neglect, um, they just want to know, is their child going to be okay um, going forward? You know, how is this going to impact them? What's it going to mm-hmm. be like when they're an adult? So many questions that come to an individual's mind when abuse or neglect occurs. And especially as a parent or a caregiver, be 
because if the child's young, they may not know the um, seriousness of the situation, but as a caregiver, you understand in full the seriousness of what has occurred. Um, And, you know, of course, if they're a teenager or a little bit older, then they do realize the gravity, but especially for the little ones, they may not always understand it. So we do get those concerns of, is my child going to be okay? And we always encourage parents or caregivers that children are resilient and Mm -hmm. they were created it to be resilient. And the most encouraging aspect of research is in a child's healing, as long as they have a supportive caregiver, that is the biggest and most influential piece in a child healing and their journey um, through therapy or, you know, through whatever it may be that's set up for them, but certainly Mm -hmm. that caregiver. And so even just for the caregivers to hear that, sometime you can see a sigh of relief because it's like, okay, like, I can be there for them. I am mm. advocating for them as a caregiver. Mm. Um, and this will work out for them in the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's also true. And that goes into what um, I talk about with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences and yeah. like the positive childhood experiences and how it can be. There's an empowering piece to it. And mm-hmm. it's why we do what we do, because we believe this isn't the end of the story. Like right. there's a lot more and healing can come and it will. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I love that, that you're like, you're, a, you're like probably the biggest part of Absolutely. that. <laughs> yeah. And research backs it up, you know, in addition to TFCBT or whatever else they're mm-hmm. in, it's, they need their caregiver. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. So Anna, what do you love the most? about being a, a victim advocate. You've been a victim advocate with us for how long now? Oh, that's the only question I wasn't ready for. Um, I have to count. <laughs> like I, six months? I think so. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I've been in the role for not too long. Um, I've certainly done advocacy and other capacities yes. within social work. But the thing I love about being at Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center and being a victim or family advocate the most is just being there with the families, Mm -hmm. just being able to sit with them to wade through what has just occurred, the trauma, um, and to listen to them and to empathize and then also know that while I do this, we can be taking action steps together. So mm-hmm. if you need help with, you know, financial resources, if you are a caregiver um, who Halos would be a good resource for you, all these different agencies thinking about what can I do in addition to this that would really be helpful or beneficial for this family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that's probably the best is being with them, knowing we are that first point in contact, we're the last point of contact when they leave, mm-hmm. and doing the follow-up calls because that really does make the difference for the family mm-hmm. um, and connecting them with whatever they need. Yeah, yeah. And I know when I ask that, it's like, just because you love something doesn't mean that it's easy. Right. So I'm sure that there's really hard parts to even what you what your response was. What would you mm-hmm. say? Like, what would you say some of those hard parts are, even if you love it so much? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of those hard parts are definitely when you have given as many resources as you can, or you have called as many partnering agencies as you can. Um, excuse me, and the family is still struggling to whatever capacity that may be, whether they are still on the brink of losing their home or um, if they still are in need of food or 
um, if the case isn't going in the direction that they would have hoped for. Because we always ask families, you know, like, what does justice look like for you? Mm-hmm. And so even if it's not working in the way they, they thought it would. And so that can be really discouraging. Um, so I would say that's the hardest part is when you know, as a family or victim advocate, you've done everything in your power that you can do. And the family is still struggling in whatever area that it may be. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. And as you were kind of talking about that, I was like, yes. But I'm sure that that spurs you on to like keep going at the same time. Absolutely. Like, you're never out of options yes. completely. It's like there may be something that like comes up and maybe it's just not right now, yes. but it's like something opens up in the next couple of days. And I'm sure that's really mm-hmm. cool. Yes. Yeah. Very true, Brooke. Um, like you said, when you really love something, there's usually a difficult aspect to it, mm-hmm. which makes you go even further and push even harder to right. find more resources or whatever you can do within your capacity. Yeah. And I will hype you up for for a second to say that I've seen you do that, like, mm-hmm. uh, like you go above and beyond, and it's really special to see. So I'm really oh. grateful that families get to have you as an advocate. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. So also, one of my kind of last questions mm-hmm. is on the MDT. So we talk about on the podcast the MDT team and how like the the whole podcast is about working together, teaming mm-hmm. against trauma. Um, as a team that we can't do it alone. And so we talked about different roles. The victim advocate is a really important role. Y'all have mm-hmm. a really powerful voice for clients um, on MDT case reviews that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell us just a little bit more about your role in MDT? What does that look like to sit in an MDT meeting and be a victim advocate? Yeah. So as a victim advocate in an MDT meeting, we are working on progress notes. Beforehand, we have communicated with the family to find out if there's any updates that have occurred. Um, we're working with the MDT team on best recommendations for them. And really, we are that family's voice at that meeting. So mm-hmm. I always ask my families, like, do you have any questions? Is there any concerns that you want me to bring to this meeting? Because mm-hmm. I'm here to represent and help you in this mm-hmm. meeting. Um, because that goes back to, you know, what is our role as an advocate? So really to be there for that family with the best interests of the child. And so when I go into the MDT meetings, that's the mindset that I'm also carrying. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, being the family's voice at that meeting and then doing progress notes with the team, um, you know, recommendations and any strengths or barriers, you know, all coming together as one unit to be in the best interest of the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you had to kind of put into just like a sentence or something what a victim Mm -hmm. advocate is, would you be able to do that? What, what, What like is that? Like what is your main Thing. As a victim advocate, really, you are walking to the family in order to walk with them and help with whatever resources that may be um, communicating the process, the criminal justice process, communicating the DSS process, the child welfare process to the best of your ability. And then always referring back to those partnering agencies as well, because we don't have the answers for everything as the family advocate, especially if they're very specific questions. So Mm -hmm. just referring them back to the partnering agencies and empowering them to know, like, you can reach out to your caseworker. You can reach out to your Mm -hmm. detective. That is what they are there for. They're working Mm -hmm. on your case specifically. Um, Because sometimes I think families think that once they hear from them, they always have to wait to hear. They can't just Mm -hmm. reach out on their own. And so letting them know, yes, I can ask these questions. And just so you know, too, you can also reach out as well. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I would say that. And then also just a few words that come to mind is we are very resourceful and we are very empathetic and very active. And so we are always working to see how we can best help families in whatever way that may be Mm -hmm. while having empathy along the way. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. It's such an amazing role role to have it. And it's so necessary and needed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So thank you. Mm -hmm. So this podcast is called the Teaming Against Trauma podcast. Yes. Great name. (laughs) Thought of it myself. Uh, Because we really do, I kind of mentioned this in the MDT part, we really, really believe in the power of teams uh, Mm -hmm. that we can do so much more together than Mm -hmm. by ourselves. And so this models what the whole CAC model is about. Mm -hmm. And um, so before letting you go, I like to ask everyone, what do you think makes a good team? That is a really good question, Brooke. And that's funny because I actually communicated with my team, the other two VAs, to see what they thought as well about what makes a great team. Um, So definitely communication. I mean, communication Mm -hmm. is key in any relationship that you have. Mm -hmm. So having communication as a team is vital. And then also willing to be flexible, especially as VAs. I mean, we have scheduled appointments, right? We have our caregiver interviews, yet along the way throughout our day, we're still communicating with other families or other families, uh, you know, may call in or if they're picking something up. So willing to be flexible to also help one another if we can't specifically do something in that moment ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the capacity to continually educate yourself, to go to conferences, to go Mm -hmm. to trainings, to read up on literature, to have conversations, to network, Mm -hmm. um, to develop professionally always. Because, you know, there's always new research, there's always um, new methods, ways or things to implement in addition to what you may already be doing. So really just developing professionally in addition to that. And then my biggest thing is grace. Mm. We will always make a mistake. We Mm -hmm. will always accidentally, you know, forget to do something, um, could have done too much on something. And so just to have grace with one another as a team, Mm -hmm. because we are in it together. We are not against each other. We are in it together for each other in order to help other people. And you really need your team to lean on. Um, And if you can't be graceful with your team, you know, you're going to be graceful. (laughs) Yeah. Because we all need so much grace. Um, So, yeah. I say yeah. all those things. That's great. I love mm-hmm. it. That's really wise. Really wise. Um, all right. Well, do you have anything else to add before we go? Yes. Oh, <laughs> you're ready. Already. <laughs> what would you like to add, uh, Anna? <laughs> I would love to add to be kind. And okay. I know that may sound a little cliche because that's everywhere, right? You go on the internet, it says be kind. You turn your head at the coffee shop, there's a t-shirt that says be kind. (laughs) Everywhere it says be kind. But it's for a reason. You see it in the coffee shop, you see it on the internet because it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, The families that walk through our door, they are your typical every single day families. They're not, you know, something that you may see on TV. You're like, oh man, yeah, Mm -hmm. that family is definitely going through it. No, you have no idea. It could be your coworker, could be your friend, could be your family member. Mm -hmm. And just because they're not saying something doesn't mean that it's not happening. Mm -hmm. You just never have 
any type of clue of what someone else is going through. And so it really is important to be kind and to have grace Mm -hmm. um, because you don't know what they went through the night before or that morning or what's happening right now on their phone or in the car that they just came out of. Mm -hmm. Um, So to be kind. And when you see that sign, it's there for a reason, not just a cliche slogan. It's good. I'm going to look for a be kind sign. Good. Today. Don't give it to me. I hope I see one. I hope you do too. And maybe you can change your podcast to Teamy Against Trauma. Dot dot dot. Be kind. Be kind from Anna Black. From Anna. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm really grateful for you. I'm grateful for you doing this and Mm -hmm. for sharing about what victim advocacy is all about. It's a really, really important part of the CAC. So appreciate all your work and what you got to share today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brooke. And shout out to the other two VAs. Um, We all do really important work, so couldn't do it without them. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for tuning in to this episode on the Teaming Against Trauma podcast. To stay connected, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You can also visit our website to learn more. We'd love for you to subscribe to our channel and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen to this on. As I've said before, this work truly takes a team to do, and that will help us add more people to our team as we keep teaming against trauma together.